Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Hey, kids, let's travel the world together. She can make it easy and in any kind of weather. No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down. She's talking from the skies and sending lives of feel-good sounds. Traveling, there's no doubt. Betty and the Jets. Oh, she's weird and wonderful. Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen. She's wearing high heel shoes. Got her wings on, too. You know, I've never seen a better stew. Oh, Betty and the Jets. Hello. And welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the airplane, from the flight attendants and the pilots, and from traveling around the world. And this episode, I have music from Elvie's Kitchen, which is a Mayan restaurant in San Pedro on Ambergris Key in Belize. And we have a special guest, uh, Lance, from the crazydaytripper.com. And then we have stories about mud, slides, chickens, kitty litter, big old drunks, hell, and hot sauce. <laughs> Let's just get on with the show. So I've probably mentioned before that the flight attendant group is a very diverse, interesting group, even though the traveling public probably doesn't realize this. And um, I mean, I've flown with quite a few flight attendants. There were lawyers. We have a very diverse group. Assortment of interests that people have is just astonishing. And you always think that you've met all the different types, you know, different. There's lots of flight attendants that are real estate agents. So some things like that sort of lend themselves to our job. And, uh, and all kind of different hobbies and stuff. So I'm on, I'm on a trip two weeks ago to London. And the guy said, uh, we were talking about what we're doing layovers. And he said, oh, I'm going uh, mudlarking. And he said it very matter-of-factly. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> He's like, mudlarking. I'm like, mud-looking? He's like, no, mudlarking. I'm like, mud, mud what? <laughs> no idea what he was talking about. And then he goes on this huge... Uh, tale about how mudlarkers in, in England, it used to be a job, it was a very low-level job, that they didn't have trash collection, so people just threw their trash in the Thames, which is the river there, and that um, when the tide went out, people would go out and collect things to hopefully sell, and that now it's a hobby in England, and he was going at low tide to the Thames to look for and get this he's he got out his ipad and he's showing me pictures on a typical layover he comes back with like 200 items lots of 17th century uh 18th century things he, he likes pipes 17th century pipes and okay now before i start getting the hate mail <laughs> before i start 
people start emailing me because I because of those few pottery shards that I took from Nicaragua. <laughs> or I got I got letters from archaeologists and things. Um this is a thing in England and it's sort of regulated. You're allowed to go down there. There's steps that go down and uh you have to get a permit if you want to dig. Uh, but if you aren't digging, you're allowed to pick up items. And if you find anything of real value, I think it's gold or silver or so- something that's really uh, old, you're supposed to take it to the museum. So it, it's not it's not illegal. It's not messing with artifacts. It's basically trash in the river. But it is amazing to me that there's still 17th century things that are getting washed up. And the River Thames in London. So because I like this kind of stuff, my when he said he was going mudlarking and gave me the first brief description of what he was doing, my ears were automatically like, huh? What? I obviously, I was, I was planning my next mudlarking trip. <laughs> I couldn't go with him on that trip because I didn't have the right shoes. I wasn't going to try to go mudlarking in heels. And I also had some cute ballerina flats, which wouldn't have worked either. So anyway, I knew I couldn't go mudlarking on that trip. But I I was bound to determine on my next trip, I was going mudlarking myself. <laughs> so I uh, on the way home from that trip, too, I, I, I got to see what he got on that layover. Now, he goes down there because we're there for 24 hours and the tide is low twice. He actually goes down there in the dark with a headlamp. And I'm not going to do something like that as a woman, you know. <laughs> traipsing around the mud in the dark <laughs> under the bridges in the river I don't think that's real safe but he does and uh he's found he has hundreds and hundreds of these 17th century English pipes and I've done a little research on the internet and it's a popular thing to find down there that's actually one of the things that people are looking for are these pipes and he's not sure what he's going to do with these yet but he thought maybe you know with the all those new legalized pot smokers out there they might like a 17th century pipe now i i realized in the last episode i was talking about buying pot stocks and now i'm talking about using these 17th century english pipes for pot so i just want to set for the record i'm not a pot smoker i work for the airline we get drug tested um it's not my thing but i will say that if it does become legal everywhere <laughs> including with the airline and they're no longer testing for that i would like to try it um, just because I did try it in college and didn't like it, uh, didn't like it at all. But, you know, I was a kid. I, I didn't like coffee in college. You know, your taste change. I might like it now. I don't know, but I'm certainly not going to try it until it's totally legal. But I, I did kind of like the idea of finding some 17th century pipes and, and selling it to people who might use it for, you know, if they're able to legally smoke it or medicinally smoke it or whatever. Um, so he's, he's found all these pipes and he also showed me everything um, that he's found. And most of it is uh, pieces of ancient pottery. And he, he was able to tell like with the color, he's been able to get pictures of what the pottery used to look like so he can see and uh, the, the different designs so he can see how old it is. And so he's actually made a mosaic table out of like 17th century British China, all this stuff that he's found in the river. And because... I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. I used to have a mosaic business before I started podcasting. I've always had hobbies and, and interests. And I used to sell. I used to go to the Rose Bowl Flea Market in California, Pasadena. And uh, I'd sell 
mosaic items, tables, flower pots, mirrors, frames. Um, I liked it. It was creative. And so when he was saying that I could find 17th century or 18th century pottery, I immediately was thinking, oh, I could make some nice tables with that. <laughs> So before my trip, I figured out the tides and I, uh, I did a little research and, and, and I had asked him like where to get off on the metro to go mudlarking. <laughs> and on the trip over, uh, it was nothing but girls on my trip. And when I, they were like, what are you doing? And I'm like, uh, I'm going uh, uh, mudlarking. And they're like, you're going what? And just like I was, they're like, mud what? <laughs> So I went and I did get a little muddy. It wasn't quite as muddy as I expected it to be. I went on a Saturday and it was about like 1.30 in the afternoon. So there were quite a few people out there. I didn't find any pipes. Um, I found quite a bit of pottery, uh, not enough to make a table. You'd have to, I'd have to go there on quite a few layers. I'm not sure if I'm going to become a professional mudlarker. You know, there's a bunch of trash down there. <laughs> there's tires and shoes I actually found a credit card for goodness sakes that wasn't even expired like I you know I don't know how this stuff gets down there if they people throw it off the bridges or or um I don't know but there is there is a lot of pottery down there and I can see why it's interesting and I could see why it'd be a fun hobby I just don't know if um if I'm gonna become a uh, professional mud Walker. Yeah, it was one of our flights. Uh, and what happened? And we were getting ready to. Matter of fact, we had closed the door. We we're pushing out, and we got a. The flight attendants called up the cockpit and said one of our slide the uh, light? slide light, you know, for uh, being armed is not working. And I said, well, uh, the door shows closed up here. But she goes, but it's not arming. So I said, well, you know, don't don't touch it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll call maintenance. So we called the maintenance to come out. And there's a, there are several things that could keep a slide from not arming. The most common of which is something jammed in the door sill, near the bottom of the door. Uh, it could be a, a fork. It could be a knife. It could be a gum wrapper. Just junk. And... Um, so I said to uh, one of my co-pilots, hey, would you mind going back and just looking under the flap? There's a little kind of rubberized flap at the bottom of the door. Would you mind just lifting up that flap and seeing if there's anything that's jamming the door down there? So he went back. He was on his hands and knees, lifting the flap up and trying to look with a flashlight. And the poor flight attendant said, well, let me just crack the door a little bit for you. And just at that moment, I got a call from the maintenance guy on the ground saying, don't open the door, it's armed. There's an indication on the outside. So wait, he's on his hands and knees at this point. He's on his hands and knees at this point. And uh, so she thought if she opened it just a little bit, it would be okay. And of course, just at that moment, I got a call from the ground maintenance guy saying, it's armed, don't open it. And at that moment, I heard, dang, <laughs> from the guy on the ground, because he saw it. The slides start to inflate rather rapidly. Fortunately for us, the, the airplane was getting ready to back out, so all of the, the baggage bins were closed, everything was away from the airplane, and nobody, was there. and nobody was back there. But we found out that day that you can actually fly an airplane with one less evacuation slide 
than the airplane has. Depending on how many people. But you got to clear out like the back third of the airplane. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got a question for you. Yeah. Did you did you go down the slide just because it was there? Yeah, that's an excellent idea. I could have gone down with a with a can of beer and said, "This is my last flight," but uh, I chose to keep on working. Yeah, uh, it's something about. I don't know though. If it was there, I might have to do it just once, just to have gone down the slide. Uh, well, I think the flight attendant may have wished she had gone down the slide because she thought it might have been her last day. I know. But I had to go back to training. Yeah. Plus the fact it was in a foreign location. It wasn't. Yeah. It wasn't in the U.S. So. Uh, now you have to deal with oh, foreign countries stuff, and yeah. all of their yeah, safety requirements. So the, as the upshot of all this is that uh, I met with that same co-pilot again uh, a few weeks later, flying with him, and I asked him what repercussions were there, and he said there were none. It was an honest accident, right. didn't mean to do it, um, and they did a fine job of getting the airplane, getting the slide off the aircraft, closing the door up, getting it, uh, the airplane ready to go again, very safely. You know, but it's yeah. loud. It was, uh, yeah, yeah, it was, scary. He, it was, it was, they were telling us how quickly that slide yeah. goes. Yeah, what you want it to yes, do. Yes, you, you do. We want that thing to inflate very quickly. And it's a very heavy slide. It's a very heavy thing. Yeah. So once they cut it loose, it hit the ground with a pretty heavy thud. Had someone been out there. Yeah, that's the problem. When that slide yeah. inflated, it would have probably killed them. Yeah. We had been talking about mud larking. Well, uh, I did another type of lark <laughs> on a lark. I took a real quick trip to Belize. Uh, there was terribly bad weather forecast for my area and then uh, the city that I work out of. And they were talking about snow and canceling all these flights and it just sounded like it was going to be a big old gigantic mess and I had been half contemplating taking a quick little trip somewhere with uh, warm weather and checking the flights and everything and uh, looking for a cheap hotel and I found a <laughs> cheap <laughs> two-star very exciting very luxurious <laughs> hotel in Belize so on a lark I just hopped on a plane and I had fan freaking fantastic timing because I got out just before the snowstorm hit, was there just long enough for them to get it all cleaned up and have flights stop being canceled and then came back. <laughs> it was a really good way to uh, avoid terrible weather catastrophe. And I did, because I, I did see emails from people where they were having to drive to get to work and rent cars to get home. And uh, people were sleeping in grocery stores and, and kids were having to stay at school. So... I did a really good thing of just um, on a lark, flying out of town. So one of the things uh, that happened in Belize, I was staying on uh, in San Pedro on Ambergris Key. I've been to Belize quite a few times, but I hadn't really spent much time on that island, which is like the main island there. And uh, one of the things I thought was funny is they have a thing once a week called a chicken drop. Now, maybe you guys have all heard of this and it's just me who's been unaware of the chicken drop. Because I actually mentioned it to a few people afterwards. They're like, oh, yeah, we know what that is. I'm like, you do? I've been on this plane in a long time. I've never heard of a chicken drop. And you know what it is? They they have a pen, you know, with like a fence along the outside and then a bunch of numbers. And you pick a number and you put money on the number. Then they put a chicken. They blow on the face of the chicken. 
I don't know how this works. Does this work in humans? I don't know. They blow on the face of the chicken, which will make it poop. <laughs> and then if it poops on your number, you win <laughs> You win the game. It is like a very low-tech fecal slot machine. <laughs> so if you're hoping that the chicken poops on your number. And I thought it was weird that whole blow it in their face. Is this something that people know? Like, is, does that work with people? If I blow it, if you're constipated, if someone blows in your face, will you poop faster? I don't know. That the, whole, the whole idea of a chicken drop was just very humorous to me. And it was also humorous that basically the whole island was out there to watch. There were like hundreds of people there to watch a chicken poop. It's crazy. <laughs> Quite a few episodes ago, I mentioned that I found it ironic or silly, not funny, that when I was going through TSA, I, I was using one of the bowls that you put your change or your watch in and looked at the bottom and there was a, a tag on there. I forget, was it like a puppy paws? It's definitely a a dog bowl and they purchased it, purchased it from a animal retailer. <laughs> pet retailer. And I thought that was funny. So then I'm going through the TSA screening like last week. And I don't know if I brought it up or the screener brought it up. I don't know something about I was reaching for one of the bowls. And I said, Oh, I thought it was funny that there are actually dog bowls. And uh, he goes, Oh, yeah, well, the bins are kitty litter bins. And I was like, No, <laughs> those gray bins that you put everything in. They're actually for kitty litter. Uh, is it strange that the TSA is treating the public like pets. We've got dog bowls and kitty litter bins that we put our stuff in. I just think it's weird. Yes, uh, I've been flying 25 years and maybe when I had about four years, four years with the company, uh, I guess I wasn't in the best mood. That happens. We're not always in the best mood to deal with yeah. passengers. And I was kind of short with this lady. And she asked the other flight attendant that I was working with if she can talk to uh, the head flight attendant. So the head flight attendant came up to her and she, I guess, told her I was short with her and whatever. So the, then the head flight attendant came up to me and said, what's going on? What, what happened with the lady? I said, oh, don't mind her. She's, she, since she got on, she's been drinking. She, but she never had a drink. <laughs> I just made it up so I can get out of trouble. Yep, I said, oh, yeah. She, but, oh, she says, oh, okay, yeah, we'll forget about her. Yeah, she's a big old drunk. Yeah, she's a big old drunk. Forget about her. But she never had a drink. She wasn't drinking. <laughs> and one of the highlights of my quick little on a lark trip to Belize is I've mentioned before that I like to I like to collect license plates from other countries but it's not always that easy to to get them like that trip I took to Greece in November I never did get a license plate a lot of times um especially in like really civilized places it's not that easy to get one because it's all regulated by the government <laughs> and also in Europe um the license plates aren't that exciting because they basically all look the same except for on the left hand side they have um, a code for the country. So like, um, it'll say GB for Great Britain or, or FR for France. So you don't really have the, the name 
spelled out of the country, which is what I like. But so I, I'm, I'm walking. Um, my my two star hotel was not right in the heart of town. So I had a little walk down some, you know, muddy streets to get to my hotel. And I saw an auto parts store. And I was thinking, what are the chances that I can get an old license plate in an auto parts store? Because you know, you can't, you can't go into an auto parts store here in the United States and buy a license plate. <laughs> but I thought, you know, it's Belize. It's different there. You know, things are relaxed. So I went in and, and I'm like, do you, do you by chance have any, um... and I'm making the my hands to show a license plate, like license plates from Belize. And he's like, Oh, I don't know. Let me check. And he comes back with two really old. I like them when they're old too. A license plate. One looks like it's from a uh, motorcycle and the other one's a real car license plate from Belize. It's also funny because it says Belize CA, which in the States we would think be Belize, California, but that's a uh, Belize Central America. So anyway, I was like, uh, well, uh, how much are they? Because some countries, now realize that people want them and it's not just me collecting them and they charge a lot for them. I think I forget where I was where they wanted like a hundred dollars for a license plate. And you know, I like to collect them, but I don't don't want that high price tag. So here were two really good license plates, old like I like. And I was like, um, how much? You know, trying not to show my hand that I'm going, how much, how much I want them, I want them, I want them. (laughs) And he said 20. 20 Belize, which is $10. And that's like basically $5 each. And I was like inside going, woohoo, woohoo, <laughs> score. I scored my license plate. You work for an airline and you have a new and upcoming website called crazydaytripper.com. And you talk all about all kind of trips where you don't stay at your destination for very long. Um, I love the crazy day trip uh, concept. It's a, a location less than my total travel time. Um, uh, last month in December, my friend and I decided we had the day off. You know what, let's just fly to Puerto Rico. So we flew from Phoenix to Miami, and then Miami to Puerto Rico, and then uh, we landed, hurried, got, uh, got a taxi, and, uh, and we stopped at this place called uh, Metropole. It was right near the beach. I sat down, had some great lunch. We hopped in the cab back to the uh, airport, Hopped on the plane, came back to Miami, back to Phoenix, and the total travel time was 20 hours and 30 minutes, a little over 13 hours of flying, just for two hours in Puerto Rico for lunch. And so then you also said that maybe sometimes you take a trip and then do another trip right after it? And this was when I first started working in Charlotte. I had a vacation, and I said, where do I want to go? Hmm, okay, let me just go to London. I've never been out of the country non-revving. Hopped on our flight to London Gatwick, went through customs, and literally, I didn't leave the airport. I, well, actually, I did, I, I lied. I did leave the airport just to step outside to say I've been to London. And hopped on a plane, came back, and then when I got back, and I mean, I got back to my apartment, my roommate says, well, I'm going to Hawaii, you want to come? <laughs> this was nine, two, three hours after I got back from London. And I was like, okay, let's go. So we flew to Phoenix and spent the night in Phoenix, hopped on a plane to Kona, and we were in Kona for eight hours, came back to Phoenix, and came right back to Charlotte. Now, aren't you exhausted after something like that? I do have to admit, yes, I am. Uh, but after I come back, have a good uh, day to recruit and all that, uh, I think back, it's like, wow. Just like for the Puerto Rico trip. I just went to Puerto Rico for lunch. You can do that. That's great. I love this stuff like that. And so, do you have any goals of like taking a like a giant crazy day trip? I have 
many, many, uh, many goals. Uh, one of my goals I really want to do is try to fly around the world as quickly as I can. For example, I can fly from uh, Phoenix to Philly, Philly to Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv to Tokyo, Tokyo to L.A., and then L.A. back to Phoenix. And that can be done within three days or around three days with all the layovers and stuff like that. Why not? Go around the world as quickly as I can and say I've been around the world. And um, uh, I have another crazy story if you allow me to share it. Sure. Uh, my airline just opened a route for, to Tel Aviv out of Philly. Well, I wonder how the Tel Aviv place was. And they're wide open. I'm like, oh. So I went to Tel Aviv. So I got to Tel Aviv, went through their customs. And the uh, customs actually put me in secondary and uh, interrogated me. <laughs> I guess they seriously thought I was a terrorist because they couldn't believe I flew all the way from the United States to go to Tel Aviv for one night. Yeah, and plus they're so strict there, you know, that that's crazy security there. They don't have to spend three, four hours in the in customs trying to explain to them, like, well, I get really good uh, deals <laughs> on flights. Crew can do it, why can't I? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of times I talk about stupid things or weird things that passengers say and do, and every once in a while, somebody really surprises you by doing something really sweet and considerate and really above and beyond. I was boarding a flight not that long ago, and you know how we let um, people with children and strollers and babies get on board first? You know, they can pre-board. So here's this couple with their like five-month-old baby, and I see them depositing bags on the seats all around them, like the row in front of them, the rows beside them, because we were on two aisles. They had brought like, I think, 16 bags of candy for the people near them because they were traveling with a baby. How sweet is that? And not only that, they had little bags of candy, but they had little notes stapled onto them. And the note said, hello, my name is Ethan. I'm only five months old. And sometimes I might cry during this flight. And I, my parents will do everything in their, their power to, to stop me. But sometimes if I'm, if I am hungry or uncomfortable, I might be crying. And hopefully this candy <laughs> is a way of like uh, softening the blow. I thought that was just the fact that they were worried about the other passengers around them and they thought to bring something ahead of time. I thought that was just exceptionally sweet. I don't know if you can tell the sound quality difference, but would you believe I have broken another recorder. This is my third recorder. I guess I really have been podcasting a long time when I have <laughs> used up or broken three digital recorders. Actually, a listener had been emailing me and asking me what handheld recorder I use, and I've been using this Zoom Handy Recorder H2, and then I could see because I can see what people buy on Amazon, but I can't see any names, but I can see he actually bought one. Now I'm going to have to turn around and buy a new one because, <laughs> gosh darn it, I've broken another recorder. So right now I'm recording on my iPhone. I do think it's it's working okay. Uh, I just don't know how it would do on the aircraft with all the background noise. So I'd like to thank that listener who bought my Zoom handy recorder. 
which I'm going to have to buy another one of. And anyone else who's clicked through my website, BettyInTheSky.com, when you need to buy something on Amazon, because this way you can support the show, help me buy new recorders, and it doesn't cost you any more. Thank you very much. This came to me from a listener named Richard. Would you board flight 666 to hell on Friday the 13th? Well, for some superstitious travelers, that might be tempting fate, but Finnair passengers on flight 666 to Helsinki, which the code is AGL, apparently were not too bothered. That flight on Friday the 13th was almost full. It's been quite a joke among the pilots before flying the Airbus 320 from Copenhagen to Helsinki, code HELL. I'm not a superstitious man. It's only a coincidence for me. The daily flight, 666, from Copenhagen to Helsinki, so from Copenhagen to hell, falls on Friday the 13th about twice a year. And Friday the 13th is considered bad luck in many countries. And the number 666 also has negative biblical associations. Some airlines, such as Scandinavian airlines take fear seriously and don't have a row 13 on board. However, the negative connotations are a relatively new phenomenon in Northern Europe, so Finnair and other regional carriers such as Norwegian and Estonia keep the row 13. You know, most of our aircraft don't have a row 13. Some of them do. I think it's actually really kind of strange that, you know, a negative numerical superstition can... <laughs> can change your aircraft configuration so you don't have a row 13. Anyway, I have been on flights from hell, but I've never been any flights to hell. Okay, and so you were gonna say something about there's a hotel made out of an airplane? Well, it's actually a hostel, but yeah, um, it's um, this uh, company is called, I believe, called Jumbo Hostel. I have to Google it here, but um, what they did is in Amsterdam, they took a old 747, parked it at the end of the, well, not the end, but on the side of the airport, and gutted it and made it into a hostel. That sounds great. <laughs> I know, right? If you're an aviation freak like me, or airline freak, That's one of the best places to stay. I haven't stayed there, but I, that's one of the places I really want to stay. And um, one of their private rooms is actually the cockpit. And it's still enclosed like, like it is, and uh, the door locks and all that. And you just have this wonderful view of the airport. And I was like, dang, for a geek like me, that would be a perfect place for me. Yeah, so you can actually stay in the cockpit of a 747. Yeah. Wow. It, it, and stuff like that. I mean, that's also another thing about the Crazy Day Tripper is like you get to learn new stuff, where to stay. I really enjoyed this next story from a listener named Jeff. He said he had just stumbled upon my podcast and thought he would share his own story from his childhood. This would have been in the mid-70s and was my first unaccompanied flight as I was about eight years old, along with my sister, who was about 13, and my twin brother. I might add that we were Hellions 
but cute hellions, and we had to wear suits and a tie, a clip-on tie. I cannot remember the airline, but it was some Florida company that is now long gone, but it had a big smiley faces painted on the nose of the aircraft. The stewardesses were gorgeous and glamorous, and I was just about that age of noticing girls, and I loved the attention and reciprocated in kind. Anyway, this first flight without grown-ups, we flew on a long-haul flight in a 747, and it was a big deal. The captain brought me and my brother up to the flight deck, and we were given little plastic wings by the crew. Somehow, I viewed this as actually making me part of the crew, and the plane was very empty, maybe only half full. So during this flight, I explored. After all, I was part of the crew, right? Better get to know this airplane that I was part of. Some highlights of my exploration included finding the food cart and taking the tomatoes off all the salads, and then me and my brother sat on the floor in the middle section of seats, which had almost nobody sitting in it, and we had tomato races as the plane was at a slight tilt, and we could watch the tomatoes gather speed as they headed towards the rear of the aircraft. You know what? That's a new one on me. I haven't seen any kids having tomato races on the airplane. <laughs> The toilet was also amazing to me, as I was fascinated by the incredible force of the suction, so I proceeded to stuff more and more stuff into the toilet to see how much suction it could generate. I literally put every single paper item, including the feminine napkins, which I thought were for sore butts, <laughs> including the feminine napkins, which I thought were for sore butts, into the toilet. <laughs> The last experiment was with my tie, which was immediately sucked out of my hands. Looking back, I'm not sure how I wasn't injured. In the main cabin, I would walk in the aisles after the service, collecting trash and offering magazines. The stewardesses humored me and my brother, and this was the best flight ever. The one of the stewardesses was quite upset when she came into the rear galley, and I was literally had opened every single compartment and gadget and drawer and was caught trying to open something on the floor. A pilot, or maybe the flight engineer, came back and talked to me about not touching anything with a picture on it with, or red on it, and he was quite serious about it, and said if I did it again, they would strap me to a seat, and then I would have to take a long bus ride home. The bus part really scared me. <laughs> So if you were ever on a long-haul flight out of Florida in the mid-70s and your salad had no tomatoes, well, that was compliments of little old me. So I was leaving Belize, and you know, I'm a passenger, I'm not in a in my uniform or anything and I, I I go to check in and you know it's just taking my passport and everything and you know the normal questions that they ask you always you know uh, did you pack your own bags have they been in your possession the whole time has anybody you know asked you to carry anything on board so you know the standard security questions but in Belize they had a couple extra ones that I thought <laughs> were really humorous and very specific to that country because and she sang in that same monotone voice because they hate asking those questions over and over again. And then she says, uh, do you have any hot sauce or seashells in your bag? And I said, excuse me, <laughs> have your bags been in your possession the whole time? And do you have any hot sauce or seashells in your bag? So even it's hard to say hot sauce and seashells. <laughs> and I said, did you just ask me if I had hot sauce in my bag? They are sort of famous, the Marie Sharp's hot sauce there. So I guess, you know, people forget and buy hot sauce and forget that it's liquids. Um, and I can understand the seashells, but <laughs> I couldn't believe she was asking me if I had hot sauce in my bag.
that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with the Suitcase. I will be ordering a new recorder. I still can't believe that I've worn out three digital recorders. I guess I don't have a long lifespan, uh, but hopefully the audio quality will be better in the next episode, because otherwise for this episode, I, I would have just been really late if I had to have wait for a new recorder to arrive. But I also will put a picture of uh, where I was mudlarking in the Thames <laughs> on the website, and I'll also put um, a picture of what I found mud larking in London. And I also um, have been doing an Instagram at Betty in the Sky. Uh, I had some pictures from my uh, recent little trip to Belize. So that's about it for this episode. I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world with a better recorder together. Catch queen. She's well.